1: Good morning and welcome to your partner in success radio where top performers share their secrets and they're here to help you achieve your personal and your professional goals. I am your host Denise Griffiths and together with my truly amazing guests we bring you inspiring and actionable insights that are aimed to help you take your life and your business to the next level. Ranked in the top 2% globally this podcast really is a must listen and I think I mentioned my guests it's all because of them. So whether you're tuning in for entrepreneurial tips, career advice, or personal development strategies, get ready to turn inspiration into action, challenges into triumphs, excuse me, and dreams into reality. And I'm so excited to guest Cynthia Covey Haller, and she is the author of Live Life in Crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you and always is bolded always ahead of you. And co-authored with her late father, the legendary leadership expert, Stephen R. Covey, this book marks the concluding chapter, or as Cynthia shared with me, a transformative final journey. And it goes beyond just enriching lives. It's a powerful testament to a family legacy grounded in wisdom and in shared purpose. So today they crafted a together. I'm sorry. I'm so excited. I can't even talk. Together, they crafted a story that spans generations, leaving an enduring impact on the legacy of wisdom and inspiration. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio, Cynthia. I'm so excited to have you here. I think I'm stuttering, and thank you for sending me this wonderful book. I've read it twice, and it is going to have a permanent place on a shelf in my my entrepreneurial library, which is the shelf where I always grab things. These are books that are very important to me, and they're going to be read and peeked at over and over again.
0: You're so you're so kind, Denise. Thank you for all the compliments, and I'm thrilled to be a guest on your show. I've looked forward to talking with you.
1: Thank you, and I'm stuttering, so <laughs> it's because I'm like because oh, I loved when we had our our pre interview. We had a terrific time, and. That's when you shared so much about the book and why you wrote it and how you wrote it with your dad and stories about your amazing family. And I, you know, I've read everything your dad wrote. I swear I have. Your brother has been, you know, I guess. I mean, as a family, I find you inspiring. Thank you you for being here.
0: We're a normal family, believe me. But <laughs> we we must have something that uh, help, makes us want to write books. And and I'm uh, my brother, the Trust and Inspire book is incredible that he just put out last year. So um, I'm I'm honored to be included in in all the great people that you interview on your show.
1: Thank you. And I have two copies of that book, Trust and Inspire. <laughs> I have one that I can take out of the office and carry around with me, and the other one that never leaves this room.
0: That's awesome. We appreciate.
1: So, it. Oh, my pleasure. So, tell me a bit about you, and why you and your dad wrote this book. I mean, there's a big story there.
0: Yeah. Well, um, it was it was years ago, literally in in 2008, when he was just telling me all the projects and books he was involved in, and he was kind of swamped, and uh, he his personal mission statement. The last 10 years of his life had been live life and crescendo. Because he he um I think he adopted that because people that he would meet when he'd be speaking or be on the road or or something, sometimes they'd say, Well, how long are you gonna keep doing this? You're you know, you're in your 70s and you're still speaking and traveling like crazy and doing all this. You know, isn't isn't this enough? What are you going to stop? And he just thought and I and I even said to him, um, Dad, are you going to ever write anything as powerful as as the seven habits of highly effective people? And it kind of insulted him. He said, gosh, I wrote that in 1989. What, What do you think I've been doing since then? I, you know, I feel like I have so much still to contribute. And he had he had put out seven or eight other books after that. And he said, "I still, I still have passion for my work, and you know, um, I'm not, I'm not anywhere near, just sitting in a rocking chair and giving it up. I'm gonna do it until I drop." And so, anyway, that's when he said to me, "Why don't you take um, this material? I call it the crescendo mentality material, and why don't you interview me and?" Um why don't you write all write it up basically and put some stories in there so people can see the value of continuing to learn and grow and change and adapt and as you grow older and in every age and stage of your life, and despite circumstances and setbacks that happen to you, you still have great contributions to make, and you still. You still need to contribute. And so I love this material. I was excited about that. And so that's kind of what happened. I, I interviewed him for a while and um and started writing. And, and I have I'm I have I'm a mother of six kids. Um I'm involved in my community and in my church and have a lot of projects and things going myself. I actually have a lot of grandkids that I love to that cause me to live in crescendo. <laughs> And so anyway, um, it took me longer than I had planned. It actually took me 10 years. And I didn't finish it. I had I finished it after he passed away. He passed away in 2012. And I knew it was important to him. Um, he felt as passionate about the crescendo mentality and continuing to contribute and and grow as anything he had previously written or spoken about. So um, it took 10 years, as I said, and I finally um, got it out in September of of 2021. And it's been it's been amazing. It's I did feel like it's resonated with with people. And it's kind of just maybe people are just finding out about it right now. But I feel like it's it's going to continue and be part of his legacy.
1: Well, I don't think there's any question about that. What did he, did he see the manuscript at any point? I mean, did he, dads or dads. Did he say, what are you talking about here? Take that part out. I can see it now.
0: Uh, we, did, we did, no, not really. Um, he, he literally had so many other books and things he was writing on that he kind of handed over to me. And I just interviewed him. And um, I tell at the end, and we could talk about this later as well, but I tell about our family's own personal journey of living in Crescendo and um, how he passed away early and things. But no, I pretty much, um, you know, we just discussed a lot of the ideas and I knew what he wanted to put in here, but it was my job to put it together and to um, find examples of people who live in Crescendo as opposed to living in Diminuendo. And if you want me to talk about those terms, I can.
1: Yes, ma'am. Please do. So, I have a, I have notes about that because yeah. it's important. You know, you're either one or the other, or you're somewhere in between. That's but right. you do Not want to be living in dimin- Say it again. You say it for me. Diminuendo. Diminuendo.
0: Diminuendo. I've i okay. saying it myself. <laughs> but- I can spell
1: it. Uh- <laughs> <It's
0: pretty laughs> But we, uh, we're we not really a musical family. People probably said, oh, you're all probably musical. And actually, my mom had a beautiful singing voice. But besides that, we weren't good at singing. And my dad was awful, I've got to say. <laughs> so anyway, but crescendo is a musical term. And uh, that's what he chose to highlight in his personal mission statement. But as you know, we've all been to concerts and we've all heard a crescendo, which is amazing. It just, if you, you're in a uh, arena or somewhere listening to um, a beautiful musical score, that a crescendo just builds in energy and power and in, you know, majesty, it just fills the arena and it keeps going and it, and it gets louder and more powerful as it goes. And, um, the opposite uh, sign is diminuendo, which is exactly, as I said, the opposite. It slows and it lessens, and it's less in power and energy, and it actually ends up coming to a stop, to an end. And so he he um, he. The challenge that he's giving in this book is to choose to live your life in crescendo rather than diminuendo. And as you said, we can be anywhere on the continuum in different ages and stages of our life, but um, despite, despite setbacks, and, I, and my, this book is full of great stories and examples of people who, despite hard things that happened to them and what you would call real challenges and setbacks where you wouldn't really blame somebody for shutting down and living in diminuendo, where they did exactly the opposite and they... Um, they gathered strength from what they were were experiencing, and they turned it around and and it became a triumph in their life and They had great things to contribute ahead if they would have given up. We would never know the the name of someone like nelson Mandelo Mandela who um you know <laughs> is is in prison for twenty something years twenty seven years and finally released when he's seventy one can you imagine he comes out of prison on robin island in south africa and you know you'd think um he said i realized at that point if i did not leave this this prison behind i would be enslaved the rest of my life um i would be caught in in everything that happened to him beforehand and he felt like his life had just begun and what happens, you know, four years later, he is an influence in South Africa to the point that he is elected president and uh, the first black president ever. And they're dismantling apartheid and, um, and incredible things are happening in South Africa. So truly Mandela's most important work was ahead of him, but you never would have thought that when he's, you know, sitting there in a prison cell, in uh, for that 27 years. So anyway, that's just one example, but I have lots of examples of people who, who uh, choose to live in crescendo rather than diminuendo. But I think it's a conscious choice that we have to make in our lives every day.
1: Oh, listen, I agree with you. And you know what I love about this book? It's really written in, in four parts. Part one is the midlife struggle. Part two is the pinnacle of success. Part three is life-changing setbacks, which you mentioned, and we'll get into that. And then part four is the second half of life. And, you know, there you go with uh, Nelson Mandela. But you also say in this book that the crescendo mentality uses key principles to guide you through each one of these four stages of life. And I won't read them all. We'll talk about them, you know, as we go go through this, but the... The final, it's a, these are a list of bullet points was detect your purpose. And I think so many people just don't quite make it there. Maybe they don't know they need to, maybe they don't know what their purpose is. I don't know why, but I see myself included wandering around going, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing?
0: Right. Well, uh, that came from. Um, one of my father's uh, people that he really admired, Victor Victor Frankel, who, as you know, wrote *Man's Search for Meaning*, which is a powerful book telling the experiences of of him in World War II in the in Auschwitz, and um, all the horrible things that he endured. And he realized that they can take everything from me; they can strip me of my family and my Dignity and my titles and everything, but the one thing they can't take is the power to choose how I'm going to react to what they do to me. And he ended up, um, you know, he to he to help himself, he envisioned, like talk about important work ahead. He envisioned himself um, even while he was being tortured and being. Uh, and suffering so much in prison, he envisioned himself speaking in Vienna and teaching students about what he was actually experiencing right then and and he he looked ahead and victor uh, Victor Frankel said, "We don't invent our missions; we detect them within ourselves, and I think that's really powerful that all of us have <laughs> unique gifts and talents and things to offer others, great, great, important contributions, although that may not seem so great to ourselves, but that we need to determine uh, what are my unique talents and gifts that I have in whatever stage of, of life you're in. What can I offer? What can I give that would bless others and would bring out some joy and fulfillment in my own life? One of the one of the um, main quotes I like in this book that is kind of a mission statement of the book is actually by Pablo Picasso, and it says, "The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away." So, what insight that that is that that here we are trying to find what is what is the meaning in my life and how can I give that away to um, To help others and also to grow myself. So, as you mentioned, um, we go through four different stages, and there's more stages, but I chose these four of a midlife, a midlife um, stage where you feel like, maybe you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. You feel like, boy, I don't think I'm not where I thought I would be at this stage. You know, I don't think I'm very Not very successful. I haven't made a big name for myself. Maybe I don't have a lot of money yet, and I thought that I would. And a lot of times when that happens, people flip out. (laughs) We always call it the midlife crisis. You know, the typical—you know—that somebody leaves their family for somebody else, or they go out and buy a flashy red car to drive around, or they do something
1: extreme and get hair plugs because the comb over doesn't work anymore.
0: (laughs) That's right. And, um, you know, the, you know, things that you're just trying to, to get attention and to kind of push back and say, wow, I'm, I'm going on with my life, but am I really successful? But my father's definition of success is, is different. He said that, um, that you're successful if you're successful in your most important roles in life. So think to yourself, what are my most important roles? You, know, you usually start with the family that am I a Am um, I a husband, a father, a mother, a sister, an aunt, a grandmother, a, a cousin, a grand, you know—a grandparent? What? What? How successful I am? Am I in those most important roles to people around me that are the most important in my life? And then you would maybe branch out to your profession, like what you're doing, Denise. You're bringing um, what great great fulfillment and purpose you must feel because you are having so many guests on that teach their, their life's learnings and share it with others. And, you know, really can help people figure out their purpose and can inspire them to, uh, stop living in diminuendo or to get control of their life and to take action and to do something. And what, um, what a great contribution that is. And then, um, Let's see. I forgot my train of thought here.
1: (laughs) And what you said, something really important, because listen, this podcast is very important to me. Anybody who knows me well or listens to me knows that I'm a highly committed introvert. I'm not shy and I don't (laughs) have any filters, but I need to be left alone. And I mean, left alone for 90 percent of the time. I need to be in my own head and quiet and thinking. I'm very creative. But I started this podcast without any goal to meet people like you and your brother and the hundreds of hundreds of other people that I've met from all over the world. But it must have been in my head at some point, because at some point I said, this is where I belong. I get to meet people from literally all over the world that I would never meet in my local Walmart. And you become my mentors in so many ways. And I'm so grateful.
0: That's incredible, and what what a contribution! And like you said, you would not maybe you wouldn't have maybe growing up if you're thinking, oh, I'm kind of an introvert or something. I'm glad that you know that label did just didn't stick with you. That I mean, you, what you're doing is not introverted <laughs> right now. I've got to tell you, you're out there, and you're to, to um, bring out the best in others, and to and to bring out. You know, the the things that they've learned to share with an enormous audience, and you've had such great success on your podcast. So you you have found, I would say you've found your unique gift and your unique your unique mission. But everyone has something different, and it doesn't have to be extraordinary to make an extraordinary difference. Um, one one um just thinking of a homeless advocate that was speaking to a group of senior citizens in And uh, was speaking about the homeless situation and how they could help. And one woman in her late 80s raises her hand and said, "You know, let's be realistic. What? How can I contribute? What could I do to make a difference? I'm, I don't get out much. I'm in my 80s. I, I don't have a lot of money. I'm in a fixed income and just getting by myself. I care about this, but what could I possibly do to help someone and to make a difference in their lives? And, and um." the the homeless advocate said um could you donate one can of soup a week and she said said yes i could do that She said think about a single mother um, warming up that can of soup for a couple hungry kids at night before they went to bed uh, so they wouldn't have to you know be hungry all night do you think that would make a difference to that family and she said yes and so she just started, Theodore Roosevelt said, do what you can with what you have, where you where are. you are, exactly. I
1: love that quote. A,
0: can, a can of soup, you know, for years and ultimately affected, you know, hundreds of people through that small donation and what that did to her also, as well as the people that benefited. So we don't have to do something huge. Um, to make a difference but we do need to identify where we are um, and and pivot we were talking about the midlife for example that um, one person in his you know he was um, almost 50 and his business shut down his he was the president and somehow he got forced out by some partners and and here he is at 46 or 7 with four kids and doesn't have a job, and um, you know it's easy to curl up in a ball and feel sorry for yourself and say they did it to me and I'm so wrong. But he thought, here's a chance to start again. What what do I want to do? And he'd always wanted to go to law school, and uh, here he was in business, and now he applied for law school and was accepted and became the oldest person in his class at 47. And he said one day, he said it wasn't easy. One day he pulls into the parking lot at like five in the morning, on a cold, icy day, and it's pitch dark and just gloom and despair sweeps over him, and he thinks, "What have I done? I've got years of law school ahead of me, and how can I make a living and start over? Can I really do this?" He started doubting himself, and and then he felt, and then he felt, "No, I'm not going to." I, my father always said, "Don't look in the rearview mirror as you're driving along in a car." if you keep looking over your shoulder or in the rearview mirror, you're going to end up in a ditch. (laughs) You're not going to get very far. So he, you know, the idea of don't look behind you, look forward. And this is what this man did thought, no matter what it takes, I'm going to, I'm going to keep, keep looking forward and progress. And he went to law school around the clock for two and a half years and graduated as the oldest person in his class. in, In when he was, when he was, um, when he was uh, 59, I mean, 49 and set up a law practice at 50 (laughs) in a new profession. And within a few years had as much work as he, as he wanted. And so sometimes we have to take control of our life and pivot as Adam Grant says, think again, you know, reinvent yourself, think of something else that you can do and, and decide to change and it'll make all the difference in your life.
1: And, you know, while you were talking about this man, I was thinking, okay, he had to start over and he was in his, you know, mid to late 40s. But think about the life wisdom he had already accumulated. That's right. Running around going, Mom, I need you to send me some lunch money. I mean, he he had been there, done a lot of things. And I'm sure that he tapped into that to get where he needed to be.
0: That's what people don't realize. Uh, the last one um, that I talk about, and we can get to the other ones as well, but the last one is the second half of life. And people don't realize they have much more in their 70s, 80s, 90s to offer than they think they they do. Just like you mentioned, um, people have a lifetime of experience and wisdom and connections and networking and valuable experiences that have got them to that point so what an opportunity if you decide to retire which my dad always called the r word (laughs) he never believed in retiring he said you can he said you can step away from a job or a career but never retire from making meaningful contributions in other people's lives that was his definition of of not retiring keep keep don't retire from making contributions to others and so you can be working at a nine-to-five job and still and still contribute or you can if you do step away from it take the valuable talents and unique skills and gifts that you have and look around you is there somebody you can mentor uh that would would could learn from your valuable lifetime of experience and you usually don't have to look further than your own family. Somebody in your family, maybe a grandchild or um, a, a relative, a cousin, or someone who is struggling with an addiction, somebody that doesn't have a job in your family and, and needs some confidence and needs someone to be a bridge builder and to help them get to where they want to be. And what a great contribution you could make if you consciously look around you and identify somebody that you could mentor because as my father usually did in a lot of his presentations, he would ask, um, to a large, a large group that he'd be speaking to. Was there someone in your life who believed in you when you didn't believe in yourself? And he said about two thirds of the audience would raise their hand. And maybe you can think of somebody like that, Denise, someone that. Mostly
1: it was myself that didn't believe
0: in me. Right, right. And so he said he said, if somebody believed in you more than and his his definition of leadership is my favorite want definition, he believed that leadership is seeing another's worth and potential so clearly that they are inspired to see it in themselves. Mm-hmm. So just like what you're saying, you didn't believe in yourself or you, you know, you needed somebody to, but someone who would see your worth and potential so clearly that it inspires you to think you know maybe i do have something maybe i can do it and so who are you who are you mentoring he would always say and so are you attempting to do the same thing with another person yeah. and so anyway that's just one of the you know one of the challenges of of um when you when you're when you're older thinking well what do i do with my time now there's so much you can do uh, that would be really powerful in other people's lives. You just have to start.
1: I agree. And Cynthia, while I'm listening to you, I'm scribbling down notes because things pop into my head as you're talking. And, you know, you're talking about mentoring other people or spending your time differently than maybe you did a year ago or before COVID or whatever has happened in your life. But I wrote down, Upskill yourself, and I can almost hear your dad's voice saying that you can always upskill yourself
0: yeah. he always he always said don't don't pigeonhole yourself he 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 you've got to keep learning and growing and changing and and uh, um, increasing in knowledge and wisdom and things that you're learning, not the opposite. And especially as you age, you need to, he always said, you've got to broaden your circle of influence where you have a tendency to shrink it when you get older. But he himself went through um, maybe at what you'd call a midlife where he had been teaching at a university for 20 years and enjoyed it apparently it was a the class to take on campus they said he didn't have a degree from that university if you didn't take his organizational behavior 358 class (laughs) and so he kind of had a little niche there but he felt like "I I don't know if I'm progressing and he was starting to develop the seven habits material and he was giving it to his students and but he didn't feel like they um you know were applying it or using it um, how they could because they were they were students and he wanted to try it out in the workplace and so he began consulting on the side as 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 well as teaching and he it just invigorated him he loved it he would give the seven habits material to a to a company and to an organization and they would just they would just eat it up and they could see uh, the value that it had and then apply it directly to their organization and really got some great results. And so he decided, um, even though he'd always considered himself a teacher, that's what he, if you would ask him, he would say his profession was being a teacher. He loved that. He thought, I'm not, you know, maybe maybe my greatest work is ahead. Maybe I can influence more people and do more and um and grow myself if I step away from this. And so he left um a you know a secure job with insurance and and all that. With he, he's the father of my parents I have nine children. I'm the oldest of the nine children. <laughs> and um he stepped away from it and started his own Covey Leadership Center, had to put our, our house in a cabin in Hawk <laughs> and um just kind of start again with my mom believing that they should do this as well and being a partner and um and and started writing and eventually um produced the seven habits of highly effective people, which is has sold 40 million copies and translated into dozens of languages. But he never would have reached that potential and lived in crescendo if he didn't take that first step and kind of a risk and stepping away from something that was comfortable kind of into the unknown and, um, and hope, and, you know, hoping and believing that he had important work and important contributions still ahead. And the fact that I'm talking about this last book of his shows that that's definitely true.
1: (laughs) So Cynthia did at any point, did your dad and your mom say, you know, we didn't see this coming. We, we believed in what we were doing. We used the crescendo mentality. We believe in gratitude, we believe in ourselves that we did not see 40 million copies being sold
0: yeah they that was you know that was amazing they i i would agree they didn't they didn't know it would ever come to something like this but they but my dad did feel like we still have contributions to make and I'm, i i can't do it in my present job at the same level forever And so, you know, you don't have to do something bold, like quit your job and start a new career, but you can look around and say, okay, if I feel like I'm dissatisfied, if I feel like I'm not appreciated um, and my talents aren't being used, what more, you've got to be proactive. My father always taught, taught, use your (laughs) R&I. And that we were saying as kids, all of us kids hated when, when he would say that because you'd come home from school and say, oh, I'm flunking my math class, but my, because my teacher's an idiot, you know, he doesn't. have oh, And we would try to blame him, him. And he would say, well, what does he have to do with it? Use your R&I, make it happen. And we're like and R, R&I meant resourcefulness and initiative. And so what he was really saying is it's up to you. You're responsible. If your teacher's not good, Get out of the class. Talk to the principal. Get some tutoring. Ask for extra help. Ask questions. Do what you can. There's no excuse to fail. You've got to just make it happen. Use your R and I. And we just like, oh, I know, use your R and I. But I'm telling you, Dad, this teacher is really bad. Well, you know, that's what are you going to do about it? You know, and so it's up to us. We, he didn't let us blame. Other, circumstances or people or things out there. And we just kind of joke that uh, we had a good balanced parenthood because our mother did let us blame people and she would massage our hearts. Oh, that dumb teacher. I'm so sorry. That's awful. You know, we would just would laugh that if you wanted that, um, if you wanted to have your heart massage, you'd go to our mom. If you wanted the truth, you'd go to the, our dad. <laughs>
1: So I suspect like- that you took a little bit of both and eventually, you know, put it all in a big soup kettle and made something out of it and said, okay, I get it now.
0: That's right. But we have to, it's easy to blame circumstances and to blame yourself, but you've got to take uh, responsibility for your own life. And, you know, talking about the, um, one of the stages is the is the um, setback one, the um, life's challenges. What are you going to do? Um, during life cha- life changing experiences, and you've probably you've probably heard of Elizabeth Smart, the young girl actually from my state, from Utah, that was kidnapped at fourteen.
1: Yeah, and we've all heard of her, and, and is- she has turned her life into something astonishing.
0: Oh, it's incredible. She's not a victim. I mean, no one would blame her for cur- curling up in a ball and not doing anything the rest of her life from what she endured with this monster. But she decided early on that her mother told her, you know, this man has taken nine months of your life from you. Don't let him take another second. You you be happy. And that's the, you know, God will take care of what, take care of him and what's, you know, the what happens to him. But you just worry about stepping forward and and going onward, and, and, you know, she she served a mission for her church, she went, graduated from college, she's an accomplished harpist, she got married and has three children, and started the Smart Foundation, which uh, helps people from all over, the, all over the United States, and even the world, uh, learn to not become victims, to overcome, you know, what happened to them, if it's some sort of abuse or kidnapping, and, I mean, her greatest work was still ahead, and you never would have you know thought that when she was you know fourteen and being abused and being treated like this, but what a what a powerful influence she's been, and how she has found her unique mission and gifts through a really hard circumstance
1: and you know what I keep thinking of we're talking about people, Nelson Mandela and Elizabeth Smart, who just it's somehow. They knew that they had to live with themselves, in themselves, and be of service at some point to other people. I think, is this teachable, Cynthia? I mean, we don't have to walk around with our head bowed and go, oh, whoa, it's me. Yeah, We just choose to.
0: That's right. Uh, My father wrote that if you want to make small changes in your life, work on your attitude. But if you want to make big and primary changes, work on your paradigm. So this crescendo mentality is a paradigm shift—a <laughs> shift to to see um, to see yourself in different in a different light. That okay, this has happened to me, but I am not a victim. Um, I, you know, I was fired from my job, but I'm not stupid. I still can accomplish something. I've 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 just gotten divorced, but that doesn't mean I can't find love again and I can't find happiness in my family. And so determine that uh, he he also said that you're you're not a product of your circumstance. You're a product of your own proactive decisions. You're the determining force in your life. And over and over again, there's examples of people who have, you can look around, you probably know people in your neighborhood, (laughs) maybe some friends or different people that shouldn't be as happy as they are right now with what they've gone through or have have suffered some great health issues, but yet they still, um, they still are growing and learning, and they're still blessing other people and doing what they can to contribute to people around them. And what an inspiring examples those those people are in our lives.
1: And they are whether whether they know it or not. And I wrote that down. You are the determining uh, force in your life. That's pretty brilliant. I'm going to put that up on my whiteboard, but. What I had to learn, you know, because when we're young, look, every teenager is a sociopath. I don't think they can even be identified as sociopath <laughs> because they just are. They eventually grow it over out of it or they don't. But I, you know, as in all teenagers, I was about as arrogant as they came. And I thought I was just the smartest thing in the room. I kind of was sometimes, but I also wasn't shy about it. And I had to learn that how I presented was not always pleasant and then I would wonder well why is you know why are things not really going my way well Denise you're kind of a jerk get out of your own way and once I started realizing that people do watch and they do learn they're paying attention to how you're saying what you're saying if you're not saying anything but you're always being observed so you have to be aware that when you're being observed, you need to bring your best person. And it doesn't matter if you live alone, as I do, blissfully. If I open the door to the UPS guy, I'm smiling, saying, hey, how are you doing? I'm not going to put it over there. You know, it's I'm being observed all the time. Even if nobody sees me, somebody sees me. That's good. That's and good. And I see me, and I'm the most important person to see me. So when I catch myself doing just dumb stuff or crabby stuff, boy, I catch it up right away. I go, stop it. Sit yeah. down. Let's take a seat, Denise. Let's have a chat.
0: That's good. That's good to, we need to do self introspection and, and, um, you know, realize, okay, I've got to make some changes. I've got to be more, um, open to to change and that that's good that's living in crescendo that's growing that's increasing and learning from your mistakes and going on we don't have to be a victim to it we we shouldn't believe our own labels about ourselves
1: exactly i mean i i've put some label listen cynthia i'm telling you if anybody could we all have our internal voice right we all have certain things that we say to ourselves on a regular basis that we shouldn't be saying to ourselves and honestly if anybody spoke to me in a walmart parking lot the way i speak to myself i would need bail money <laughs> it would get ugly
0: yeah. well it sounds like you're self aware and that you can uh, try you no know, you can you can identify where you are and and make changes Uh, um, it's never too late. It's never too late to start. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. I just found that said, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. Right. And so maybe you're in a, in a a, a relationship that's not healthy. Maybe your family life, maybe you don't have a relationship with your teenager. Like you're saying, they're a little crazy and you don't relate to them or you're not, you're not, they're not, Part of your life, and you can't have influence if they're not. Or maybe that um, there's there's people around you, or there's needs in your community that only you can fill. We've got to um, be self aware and and uh, detect our own purposes and our own skills and put them to use. You think of um, you know one of the sections in the middle of, of the book is the pinnacle of success, and so you think you see people that have arrived, you know, made a lot of money, they're successful, they're, they're, they're doing amazing things. And yet, um, what are they going to do after, you know, what are they just done? Are they, I've got examples of J.R. Tolkien and Garth Brooks and, and just some ordinary people too, like, you know, um, that have had a lot of success. And what are you going to do next? Uh, Jimmy and Rosalind Carter are excellent examples of this because you know, he was the president of the United States. You know, that's uh, we would think. Well, he's he's reached the pinnacle of success. What else? What else could he do after that? And the temptation is, is like a lot of presidents have done. You you establish a library. You give expensive speeches. You know, you you know, you keep maybe in the public eye. But you're that's kind of the pinnacle of what you've accomplished but the carters uh jimmy carter did not get reelected he was a president during a really hard time with the iran hostages and it was like half of his presidency and some really difficult things the economics were terrible during his time and so he did not get elected reelected and he went back to plains georgia so what are his choices what is he going to do feel like you know he wasn't uh, rated one of the, our best presidents but but What has he done since? I mean, Denise, I can ask you, what what is he known for? What are the Carters known
1: for now? Habitat for Humanity.
0: That's right. They looked around them and thought, we can still contribute. And within one year, they had established the Carter Peace Center to to, um, establish better peace between nations and between leaders. And then they, Habitat for Humanity, they're the face of that. They have brought that to life when they realize some people have never owned a decent home. And not only did they, you know, lend their name and their work to that, but they would be there with hammers and saws and doing the work themselves into their nineties. They're still alive and still, you know, up until recently able to contribute and doing what they can to, um, to bless other people, but truly his most important work and both of theirs was still ahead of them even though you'd think well he reached the pinnacle of success by being the president but he he may not go down as one of our best presidents but by far he's our most prolific um president that contributes post president of any we've ever had and uh, you know has has contributed in so many ways to the average person so Absolutely. i really admire that.
1: I do too and you know i didn't know much about his presidency but i did know that he wasn't well regarded but then and I love history so I started really kind of looking into it and I saw where some you know kind of why he was not regarded as a great president but what he has done he and she have done with their lives since then you cannot fault them and they're both in hospice I believe right now
0: yeah I think they are I hope they've passed together <laughs> they're such Thank a wonderful you. couple you know he's written like 15 books or something and and I got got that idea of the second half of life from him uh that the idea that you know what are you going to do now look around you look at the look at the poor and the needy around you look at the many needs the hard part is choosing something and then just start you know Um, one of my father's main ideas in this book is that life is about contribution not accumulation and the world teaches us society teaches us no it's about the name and it's about money it's about getting things but what value you know do they really have at the end of your life nobody's talking about the homes and the properties and their business and their success when they're when they're ready to die they're talking about primary greatness things that really last they're talking about their relationships their families, their contributions, things that they care about, that they value, that will live a legacy after they're gone. And for the Carters have left a will will live a legacy of great things because they care about life being a contribution, not accumulating things.
1: So, and in chapter three, it's titled People Are More Important Than Things. And going back to what you just said at the end of life, people often what they're they're looking at is what they didn't do. What they let right. slide or what skated, or they just they're more regretful about what didn't happen than what did happen
0: that, that's true um that that section you mentioned um people are more important than things i tell a personal story of, of my parents were building a cabin up in montana and um the, it was stalled for some decisions that they had to make and it was it was uh, winter it was cold and they were still working inside and doing some things. And so they traveled up um, from Utah to Montana on some icy roads. And my dad just had enough time to meet the builder for dinner that night and then to uh sleep overnight at a at a motel and then drive home because he had to fly out the next day somewhere mid-afternoon. And so um they they got to the restaurant and met the builder, and they they had known that he had just gone through a terrible divorce and that um, it was just really hard on him. And they could see that he was kind of in a bad way. And so they tried to talk about that. And he said, oh, uh, you know, don't worry. Let's just talk about we just have time to talk about your cabin and I'm fine and everything. And my mom (laughs) took his hand and said, no, Chip, we care more about you and how you're doing than questions about our cabin right now you are important to us how can we help you and he broke into tears and and revealed this pain he was going through and how it devastated his life and how he didn't know if he could go on and what he should do and they spent the night talking to him and comforting him and helping him um you know put the pieces back together so he could continue giving him some hope that life can be good again you can still live in crescendo you can still contribute and you'll be happy again and things will work out eventually but to hold on and he said um and then they they went back to their hotel and 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 drove home the next day when my when my mother uh, passed away he wrote um us a letter the family and said i was so embarrassed that they spent the entire night talking to me and didn't address any of the needs of the, the cabin, the crucial decisions we had to make, but you have no idea what that meant to me and how they affirm me as a person. And then when my father died, uh, he he came up, we we, got, we went to our cabin and it was full of bats.
1: <laughs> I was just reading that I actually made myself a note at some oh page. God. It was six about chip coming back because of the bats. So tell that story.
0: We had just buried my father a few days earlier and I took my mom up to Montana to kind of get away and recoup and, and reflect on everything. And we walked into the cabin and there were mount there were bat droppings all over and bats literally around our heads and things. And we, we just, we couldn't believe it. So we didn't know what to do. We were just in tears and we called chip and he immediately came over with the whole crew and fixed the problem uh, did extra work worked in the garage cleaned it up spent the entire day without any compensation and said it's my way of paying back your parents for being there the most difficult most terrible part of my life and they were there for me I'm happy to do this for for them and so it just meant so much to him that you know he had someone who would listen to them to him during a crucial time and and it was more important than than the decisions on their cabin, but that's a good principle. I think we can always apply that people are more important than things. Um, my dad would always say um, something about, um, oh, you know. Oh, anyway, I can't think of the quote, but anyway, that that was something he tried. He tried hard to live by that things don't matter, and and but your people and the relationships that are close and important to you, are can affect a lifetime.
1: It... Denise. sorry i'm muted so i could i didn't want to cough on you i apologize but anyway i'm i kept reading as you were talking because this is such an important chapter i think and when the part where you shared about chip and how he came and your parents had really made a massive mm-hmm impression on him and I suspect that he carried that forward and treated other people the way they treated him. It's just something you do but, but when you go and that was on page 66 and when you go to page 67, I think this is what you're referencing. In relationships people are infinitely infinitely more important than things and this is where I really got you know, caught up. It's vital to continually renew your basic commitment to that principle which will unite you with those most important in your life. No,
0: I, uh, they they were both good examples of that and taught me, taught me that. And um, like you say, at the end of your life, that's, you're talking about people that are important to you more than, oh, isn't it great that I had such a big boat? Right. <laughs>
1: gets the, against the boat them. mom can i have the boat <laughs> yeah, i can see it now
0: Just but... want more time with the people you love or you have uh, pets that you don't have anyone important in your life that that is meaningful and that's that's hard too but um it's our choice to to um do what we can to to care about others and like 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 Pablo Picasso says you know give give find your meaning and purpose in life and then give it away pay it forward
1: and that does make sense. We've got about eight more minutes, so I wanted to ask you and this is an important kind of over writing theme in the book service to others is a key component of of living in crescendo
0: yes that's right um, service service is really magical because if you've got troubles and struggles and you serve, you still serve somehow it helps you (laughs) going through your, your, what you're dealing with, if you can help others. And um, I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, maybe if your viewers look at the book, they could see our family's own journey of living in crescendo. I just wanted to give the example of my brother, Sean, Um, who put this service into action during the most difficult times of, of his life and his families. And that is that, uh, years ago, and this happened, um, right after my father passed away, four months later, um, our, our niece, Rachel, who's the oldest daughter of, of eight children in their family, um she passed away from effects of depression. She could never deal with depression and and things in her life. It was such a a hard thing. And she died at the age of 21, much too early. And this was devastating to um, my brother, Sean, and his wife, Rebecca, as you can imagine. And so Sean, um, somebody told him um, when this happened that, you know you're it's it's so sorry I'm so sorry this happened because you will always have a hole in your heart where Rachel was because of the loss of Rachel you'll always have this hole in your heart and my brother thought about that and thought it really disturbed him he thought no I'm not going to have a big hole in my heart I'm going to grow a muscle there and he decided I I basically have three choices I can let this destroy me I can let it define me or I can let it um I can let it uh change me and improve me. I can let it bless my life. And he chose the last choice. I can let it strengthen me. That's the word I was looking for. So it can destroy or define or strengthen me. And so um some, some of Rachel's friends came to Sean and Rebecca and told them that they, they knew that Rachel had a great passion and love for riding horses. And she told her parents she found her voice when she was riding them. It gave her so much. Joy and and she's they they came forward and said, You know, uh, Rachel saved us when we were discouraged and having hard times by taking us riding. And there's a lot of therapy in in horse training and in in that kind of thing. And so they determined to do something good of what had happened with Rachel. And so they chose to set up a nonprofit called Bridle Up Hope, which um, has three components. The first is the horse training equestrian training and getting this therapy through through horses to help deal with depression and anxiety and and um you know suicidal thoughts and and things that are so hard you know comparison our comparison age that we live in especially with teenagers it's so difficult with social media and so um the, that's the first component is the equestrian training the second was to involve them in learning some life skills Through My brother, Sean, wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, which he took my father's material for Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and made it applicable to teens, more more teen friendly. And so they learned some life skills on, on how to navigate life through the Seven Habits for Teens. And then the third component is service, is giving back. To uh, the the barn, to helping there, to maybe mucking out stalls, to being a mentor to someone who's younger who's struggling, to give service in the community, and so it was incredible to see with their with their, such a hard thing that happened to them and to our whole family that this these these parents of uh, establishing this that was 12 years ago, and since then over a thousand girls from the ages of 12 to 18, and then they made available to women because the mother said, our girls are doing well, but we're struggling too. And so um, they made available to women, but over a thousand girls and women have gone through their program. And 94% of the parents have said that it was life-changing for their daughter. And so what a, what a chance to use service and to give back when you have such a hard thing happen and to live in crescendo rather than let it define you or destroy you and live in diminuendo. Our family really admires them and this is our family charity now. And we um, we admire Sean and Rebecca and their family for, for what they've done and what good things have come out of such a hard, hard situation.
1: So and that's so- the, the final chapter in your book. It's on page 267, Bridal of Hope the Rachel Covey foundation. And it's an amazing story. And when you, when you said that, you know, your brother told you that somebody said, you'll always have a hole in your heart. I, I have to tell you, Cynthia, I immediately took umbrage at that. You don't have a hole in your heart. You have memories, you have love, you have hope that, you know, things are going to work out for everybody around the person that you lost that they will have learned something and they still love you. There's just so many things. A hole is not. I, I hated that. I hated that when I heard it. Uh,
0: yeah. So did he. And he thought, no, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna grow a muscle there. It's not gonna be a big hole.
1: Right. Right. Listen, I, and I know I mentioned this to you in our virtual green room because we're rapidly running out of time. I think I told you this is the fastest 60 minutes in my life every, every Monday and Friday, but. There is so much more in this book and in your story. Would you mind coming back again, maybe in, you know, the new year or yeah. early January or something like that? Could you come back?
0: Yes, I'd love to. I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah. It's been great talking with you and I could share more if you'd like.
1: Oh, absolutely. This I've got sticky notes all over this book. I've got pink ones, green ones, yellow ones. You know, they all have different meanings. The pink ones are like, oh, go back go back to this one. It's really important. So before I let you go, Cynthia, where can people find you? And do you have any, any last minute kind of thoughts or, you know, we're, we're right now we're in Thanksgiving Christmas is coming up. We're talking about, you know, being of service to other people. You mentioned the cans of food and I had read somewhere and you know, this kind of stuff that pops up during the holidays. People do want to be helpful, even if it's just making suggestions. And people were talking and I saw this multiple times, so it stuck with me, but when you mentioned the can of food, it came right back. And people say, okay, you know, you go to the the food banks and you know they they get their Thanksgiving meal, but they're not getting butter. They're not getting can openers. You know, you've got, you know, a box of potatoes, but you don't have anything to to mix it with. Here you've got, you know, maybe a can of yams, but you can't open the can. There was just so many different things that people don't even think about. They're saying, oh, well, you know, I'll throw this can of beans in the box when I'm walking out the grocery store. And there's a lot of things, but stop and think and ask people what they really need.
0: That's really good. There's so many needs around us. You really don't have to look far. Like I said, start with your family, look in your neighborhood. Is there a neighbor across the street that's lonely, that their yard's, you know, yellowing and they don't have visitors. I mean, you know, somebody in your church or your community somewhere that somewhere you can make a difference. Um, My father always said that life is a mission, not a career. And so my challenge, I guess, to your listeners as it was, we close is that, is look for your own unique mission. Look for um, ways that you can contribute in your way. It doesn't have to be grand. It doesn't have to be huge. One older man loved to fix up bikes after he retired. And he he was known as the bike man in town. Any kid knew that if they needed a bike, they could go to him and he would find one for him or, re, or redo a bike, fix it up. And uh, you know, at his funeral, there there's hundreds of <laughs> bikes lined up. By kids that rode their bikes to the to the funeral as a tribute to his life, you know he had a skill in being able to do that. So just a small contribution can make a huge difference. And I just um, my 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 book is a, on, on Amazon and Barnes and Noble anywhere um, that you can buy books. I'm just I I usually use LinkedIn more than anything. So just Cynthia Covey Haller at LinkedIn if you want to connect. But I really appreciate this opportunity to to speak about the crescendo mentality and to challenge your listeners that don't don't believe that you're done no matter what age and stage you're at and no matter what you're experiencing you still have great contributions ahead to make and go find them and use your R and <laughs> I. make it happen that. Uh-huh.
1: and you know i'm so glad you said this at the end of the show because that really does encompass what we've been talking about and what the book is about, what your family is about. So I sincerely appreciate you being with me here today, spending time with me and you've shared your online presence and your preferred means of contact. So I don't need to ask that again, but thank you so much. And I very much look forward to having you come back soon. So we can, there's, there's parts that I got, sticky you notes. seriously, they're everywhere. I've got some questions, yeah, questions, observations about some of these pages that I think people really need to be going, huh, now that's interesting. I never would have thought of it that way. Where do I get the book? So anyway, listen, Christmas is coming, y'all. Get the book. <laughs> um, and I'm not joking. It would make a perfect gift for family, for friends, for your colleagues, this is something that we all need to live life in crescendo, Cynthia. Thank you so much, and listen, happy holidays, and we'll talk again. Thank you,
0: Denise. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving and and Christmas season as well, and uh, all the best to your listeners. I appreciate you. it on your show.
1: Thank you. So, to my audience, as we conclude today's episode, your feedback really does mean a lot to me. So, if you found the show helpful. Please support us with a quick review on iTunes and your input is vital because I have a mission and my mission is to inspire and empower more individuals by bringing these tremendous guests onto the show. So don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a review and share your partner in Success Radio with friends and family. And be sure to find Cynthia Covey-Haller on the web and connect with her. And thank you everybody for tuning in. Cynthia, again, thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Denise. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. You too. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.